Oh, she goes, oh, I knew it. I knew it. I knew there was going to be something wrong with the trade. I just knew it. No, 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 no. He said, you, you don't understand. We owe you $1,200 more. He said, all I need to know is do you want us to rewrite the contract to include the $1,200 as more down payment or do you just want me to give you a check? Okay, so this episode, everyone, is right before the new year. I'm recording this on Tuesday, December 28th. And there's a lot coming up. There's a lot that has happened. There are a lot of changes happening right now. Uh, this whole thing with COVID is out of control. Um, the president just said that um, the federal government has no answer. Said that this is not a, a federal government thing. Says that states bear the responsibility for COVID. So... A lot has changed. You know, the whole idea of the vaccine was supposed to solve this. It didn't. Um, so as we move forward in the year, there's a lot to consider. You know, the idea of maybe not doing so much face-to-face -face again and going back to virtual in terms of meetings is becoming more and more of a serious situation. As leaders, as business owners, as people in authority, we need to seriously consider how we lead. Uh, we need to seriously consider how we treat our customers. I think that's why this particular episode is really important, especially this time of the year. Some of what you're going to hear in this episode and in this chapter or mile, mile four, do the right thing, um, actually has doesn't apply right now. It could apply again in the future, but it doesn't apply right now because there's this shortage of chips in the automotive industry. And when I start talking about wholesale, um, things have changed. And, and I'll mention that when I bring it up. But um, there's so much going on in the world, and it's something that we all need to be really serious about, considering when we talk to other people, when we make our decisions moving forward, how we treat others. Uh, we need to be considerate and respectful, and we need to really be clear about the decisions that we are going to make and how it impacts others. So with that in mind, here's mile four of the miles and the markers, do the right thing. Being there for people is how Jesus lived. We can learn a great deal about how we should live and behave in business from the way Jesus modeled his life. In his letter to the church at Philippi, the apostle Paul explained, quote, have this mind among yourselves, 
which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, end quote. And that's from Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 7 in the English Standard Version. Now, going back to my days at the gas station, Dave Swap taught me some 45 years ago the types of behaviors that service departments really should be doing today. With modern innovations in technology, the customer experience and ability for dealerships to deliver great service and still make money really should be a no-brainer. Sadly, the only no-brainer seen today is the resistance from manufacturers, dealers, dealership managers, and even some technicians. And that's just in the car business, by the way. That resistance to meet the customers where they are and deliver to them what they want. Just great service at a reasonable price. Instead, egos are standing in the way resulting in dealerships and businesses losing much of their business. In this case, dealerships lose most of their service business to independent shops after the manufacturer's warranty has run out. They followed in the footsteps of a company that many are probably familiar with, but some younger folks may wonder who they are. They're called Kodak. They had the ability to move to digital before anyone else. But they didn't want to lose their film, paper, and processing sales by advancing new technology. Now, independent service centers, like repair shops, take over 80% share of maintenance and repair business from dealerships after the warranty expires. See, the warranty is a way for manufacturers to ensure that the customer continues to go to that dealership because they don't honor it at independent shops. But after the warranty is over, customers leave, and there's a good reason why. There's no sense of loyalty. Why should they be loyal to somebody who doesn't take care of them? The other part is convenience and ease of transaction. Those are two key elements associated with lost dealership business. Reputation is another. Now, for decades, dealerships gouged customers with high prices while allowing technicians to shortcut warranty repair processes. Many technicians are offended that the manufacturer isn't paying them enough for taking care of their customers, so many don't take the time to fix the vehicle right the first time. Now, this is an understandable reaction. So I recently spoke to a technician who is retiring, and he told me he's retiring in part because he does fix the vehicles right the first time, but he's not getting paid fairly for his time to do it. So I get it. I understand that. And we've got a lot of defections in automotive technicians. 
because of that and many other things. Most manufacturers aren't willing to pay a fair price for diagnosing certain problems that require more time. It's similar to what we see happening today in healthcare, where insurance companies pay physicians a small percentage of the contracted charges, affording doctors only a small amount of time in order to diagnose a problem. By limiting the amount of time doctors have to diagnose a problem, the end result is obvious, less than stellar patient care. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm pausing here because as I consider what we do for our healthcare now, and we're blessed to be able to afford to do it, our doctor... Our physician, who's been our physician for 10 years since we moved into the Arizona area, um, moved to a program called uh, MDVIP, which is a concierge-type medicine. And the reason that he did that was the same reason technicians are leaving automotive. Um, He did it because the insurance companies won't pay. He did it and charges a, a flat annual fee for people to be his doctor. Uh, and he still takes insurance for additional things, but there's a flat annual, annual fee and you get special, special, um, extensive annual checkups that take like two and a half hours and all this blood work and all these body tests and everything else so that you really know what's going on with your health. It's all preventative focused. And it's really the right way that doctors should treat everybody And it would be great if insurance companies would pay them for that so that everybody could be treated that way, not just people who had money or access. So there's a lot of opportunity for doing the right thing by people ahead. Continuing on now with the book, due in part to COVID-19, new vehicle sales started shrinking and they're still there. But there has been a bit of a comeback, and this is a big asterisk now in the book. Nobody knows for sure in 2022 what's going to happen. Some are saying, oh yeah, we're going to start seeing it in October. Some are saying the chip shortage is going to be a long time. So this is where uh, I'm beginning the conversation about wholesale vehicles and things like that. And some of this applies, the principle applies here. The specifics uh, are a bit different because of what's happened with the chip shortage and uh, and COVID. So the future of new vehicle sales as a key profit center is unknown. That's true. And that's still current. Manufacturers and dealerships are being forced to reconsider the importance of their service departments. Success in fixed operations might be the only hope many will have if they're going to survive. Service directors, trainers, and managers are taking the lead on their own to form mastermind groups and to reintroduce traditional yet still successful strategies of doing business. These are the proven strategies Dave Swap taught me four decades ago. It's also another reason why there are so many fixed ops virtual groups forming. And we're seeing more and more all the time coming up. And there's some good ones out there. I've been blessed to be a part of one of the bigger ones with the Fixed Ops Roundtable. 
And um, we'll see what the future brings there in 2022. Another story from my retail days illustrates the contrast between the right way and the wrong way. Years ago, a lady and her daughter drove past our dealership. The lady saw a bright yellow coupe on our lot, and she had to have it. Now, considering that it was our last one, we wrote up the contract and performed what's called a blind trade appraisal. Blind because the car wasn't there to put a value on it. Now, since her existing vehicle was a Toyota that had five different trim levels, we informed her that the appraised value was based on an accurate description of her existing car, but that it could change one way or another when she finally brought it in, and she agreed. The next day, she brought in her trade, and we appraised it. She thought her model was two full trims lower than it was. Now, what does that mean? It means that her car was worth more money than we had originally written on the trade-in value. Now, I have told this story as a trainer in sales manager classes for years. And I'd ask them how they would handle that extra gross found in the trade. In this case, it was $1,200 extra that we found when putting a number on her car. And here is the comment about doing right, the right thing for the customers. Here is the, the real difference in doing what is right versus doing what is right just for me. Over half of all the managers that I've ever told this story to said, take all the $1,200, keep it. In other words, what they'd have to do to, to do that is they'd have to come into the customer and go, hey, everything's good. You described it right. Um, everything's good. Take the new car. They, in other words, they would blatantly lie to the customer. No problem. A lot, <laughs> there are a lot of people in business that have no problem doing that. Within their own ethics, that's totally fine. Within their own values, that's totally fine. It's not in mine, which is why I wrote it in the book. 25% said to split the difference so that the customer would feel good about it. In other words, to just lie a little bit. <laughs> Look, as long as we give her a little bit, it's okay, right? <laughs> just lie a little bit. At least I'd feel better about myself for, for telling just a partial lie. And here's the sad part. And the sad part, really, for me, is that it's still true today. I mean, I work with, I've worked with people recently who tell fibs all the time. They exaggerate stuff all the time. They exaggerate numbers all the time. Just to make things look better than they are. Or they hold back information because they don't want people to know the truth. Only one quarter of the managers said she deserved all the money. Only one quarter. Our dealership gave her all the money. So here's the way the story went. Our manager walks in to the finance office and says to the customer, hey, I, I wanted to update you on your trade value. 
Oh, she goes, oh, I knew it. I knew it. I knew there was going to be something wrong with the trade. I just knew it. No, 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 no. He said, you, you don't understand. We owe you $1,200 more because you guessed too low. He said, all I need to know is do you want us to rewrite the contract to include the $1,200 as more down payment, or do you just want me to give you a check for $1,200? And she was just obviously blown away, right? Obviously blown away. Now, later in the book, I, I have a chapter called The Farmer and the Fruit Picker, and you all need to understand who are listening to this. Some of you are cringing right now going, I would never do that. I would never do that. I know who you are. <laughs> but you're just thinking like a fruit picker. Taking that extra 1200 bucks is just pulling fruit off the tree that's never going to produce new fruit for you. That is such short-sighted thinking. Short-sighted. And so in the book, I have a, a mile chapter called Be a Farmer, Not a Fruit Picker. Man, this decision by our leadership was an investment in future business. And they understood that. It's like I, I, um, I posted a question uh, on LinkedIn recently. It was a survey um, of another story that I told where a customer walked into the general manager's office and said, hey, your service manager said to talk to you about this expired coupon. And the general manager said, that's a manufacturer's coupon. I'm not going to honor it. It's expired because they're not going to pay me back. That's fruit picker mentality. 75% of everybody who read the poll said, honor the coupon. Gosh, it's future business. Don't be dumb. Um, there's like 12%, I think, who said, oh, no, it's expired. Don't honor it. So <laughs> I'm not sure I get that, but okay. <laughs> yeah, future business. And here's the real story. This is what happened. As a result, the customer told our local newspaper. We actually had newspapers that people read. In those, they actually got them delivered to their house in those days. She called the local newspaper and told them the story, and they wrote an article about it. They wrote about how we treated her, and no fewer than 20 customers came in over the next few days with the newspaper in their hand. They wanted to do business with an honest, fair dealership for a change. The good news is that there are more and more of those today. I used to say I could count on one hand the fingers of how many dealers I would be willing to go work for. And I've been all over this country training in hundreds and hundreds of dealerships. It may have been thousands at this point. I don't know. But uh, I could count on five, uh, you know, five fingers, the number of dealers that I would work for. Because of their values or lack of values. The five that I would work for, it may be a few more now, have incredible values, incredible customer experiences, incredible employee treatment, incredible programs for advancement for their employees. Yeah, I'd work for them. 
But the others I wouldn't work for. I, I, most of them I just wouldn't. They just don't care, unfortunately. Am I calling you out right now? Okay, sure. I'm calling you out. So there is another concern today, and this is where um, I mentioned earlier that there may be something a little different because of the chip shortage with wholesale vehicles. When I wrote the book, this was just before we really hit the chip shortage. And trust me, as a a guy who worked for two different manufacturers and who's been involved with manufacturer reps for decades, I've seen what they've been put through and with dealerships for decades and seeing how many times the... um, the rep would come in and try to wholesale new inventory to the dealer because manufacturers make their money by building cars. So they would try to push new inventory as much as they possibly could wholesale onto dealers. And so the concern is manufacturers who continue to push wholesale on dealers so hard that they both destroy the network of dealerships and destroy the lives of their field people These are their internal customers. Now, that's not such a big deal right now. (laughs) Why not? Because there's no new inventory. This chip shortage has made it difficult to build cars and to provide the features on the cars that customers want. So today, if a dealer or if a manufacturer's rep went into a dealership and said, I've got three truckloads of brand new cars I want you to take, they go, yeah, send me six, send me 10, send me 20. So the tables have kind of turned because of the chip shortage in that the manufacturers don't have anything to give and the dealers want it. When I left um, the manufacturing world in December of 2019, so it's been two years now. Um, the supply of new vehicles on the ground in some dealerships was 180 days. They had that many. And they were still trying to push more vehicles on them. They didn't want anything. Now, I have no idea what the supply is. But it's definitely under 30 days. It might be more like 10 days. So things have certainly changed. But here's the question. For anybody listening who may have any ability to make decisions in this area. When it turns around, what are you going to do? When it turns back around to where there's plenty of inventory. Remember, the, the ability to manufacture vehicles. We have the ability to manufacture. We had the ability in 1995 to manufacture with our efficiencies, twice as many vehicles as there were drivers on the road. That was in 1995. I don't know what the number is today. But our manufacturing processes have become so streamlined that we can, we can build the order pretty much without any problems. But that doesn't make as much money as the manufacturers want, so they continue to try and build as much as they possibly can, even though there's nowhere to put the cars. That's not the case right now, but it may come to that again. And then what are you going to do? Then what are you going to do? And if you're not in the car business, the same question applies. 
How do you treat your internal customers? How do you treat your external customers? Are you doing the right thing by them? Or are you just trying to slam profit into your own pocket? If you do the right thing, in fact, I love the quote by Zig Ziglar. You can get anything you want in life as long as you help enough others get what they want. So you can get plenty of profit if you help enough others get what they want. You can help other people and make money doing it. That's the focus. When are manufacturers going to accept the fact that our global production capabilities are at least twice that of consumer demand? That's what I just said. And with subscription models becoming a more favorable alternative, although that's kind of been put on the shelf for a while as well. But our industry can't continue with the status quo mentality regardless. It's time to change our approach or watch disruptors completely take over the automotive business world. And they are out there. Do they have everything perfect? No. But the one thing they have done is ask the questions. What do customers want? What will make it easier for a customer to buy a car? What will make it easier for a customer to service a vehicle after they own it? What will make it easier for people to use a car who can't afford a car? All of these questions they've asked and set up ways to deliver on that. But like Kodak... Many manufacturers and dealerships have been so comfortable with the paper and the processing and the chemicals and all the things to produce photos, old-fashioned Polaroids, in their own dealerships, and their own manufacturing processes, in the way that they sell and wholesale these vehicles, that they don't want to change. And they're going to lose. From a biblical perspective, people in power shouldn't use their power or authority against people without it. Jesus warned against following those with power, saying, quote, They tie up heavy loads that are hard to carry and put them on people's shoulders, but they themselves aren't willing to lift a finger to move them. They love places of honor at the banquets and greetings in the marketplace, end quote. And I'm going to add, they love being on stage at the big venues and the big conferences. They love getting the attention in all the events so that their name is in lights. But they don't care for their people or their customers. And in many cases, they play games and make it seem like they cared for their customers. Um, I'm trying, I'm, you know, I'm hesitating a little bit to share this, but I'm going to share it anyway. <laughs> Here we go. Controversy time. I, some people don't even care. I mean, how many people listen to my podcast, right? But years ago, when, when a manufacturer went bankrupt shortly after receiving $17 billion from the federal government, it wasn't but a few years later that the head of the organization at that time made a huge error by pushing out a marketing campaign that said, we paid it all back. We've paid all of that money back. They didn't pay a dime back. What they did is issued stock in their company back to the federal government 
at a significant discount from what they borrowed. And the federal government said, okay, we wiped the slate clean because you issued us this stock in your company that we actually are calling the shots on now as the federal government, at least for a, a period of time. But they went out and had the audacity to say, we've paid it all back. Well, that blew up in their face. They took all those posters down like within 30 days because it wasn't honest. It was a marketing ploy. They love, they love the places of honor. You know, this scripture was spoken of religious leaders of the day. The description sounds like the behavior of some manufacturers, lenders, car dealers, and managers who have given our industry and other industries a bad name. The mile marker. Do the right thing for your people internal customers, and your retail guests, external customers, regardless of the short-term financial impact. Doing the right thing results in long-term success, as well as both employee and customer loyalty and retention. I wish every one of you a blessed, healthy, happy and successful 2022. God bless you. And until next time, I'm Gene Gertley. Thanks for listening.